Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. A movement, I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. I've got a doozy for you on this one. I'm issuing a content warning here, not for language or anything, but for topic and content. The K-12 curriculum I'm discussing today goes to a very dark and graphic place that you probably don't want your kids hearing before you know what you're listening to. If you have kids around, I suggest headphones. Don't underestimate what little ones will pick up, even if you think they're too young to understand. Now, for today's show, I'm going to rely heavily on a series of articles from the National Review, posted over about the last 15 days or so. If you go to their website and search Aztec Gods, you'll find more than you've bargained for. From March 16th, and note, this first part is old news, but we'll get to that. Tomorrow, California's Department of Education will vote on a proposed ethnic studies model curriculum. If members vote in the affirmative, it could become mandatory in all of California's K-12 public schools. We now know that the latest 894-page version is the final one. It was hoped that the process of revision would temper the radicalism of the first few iterations, but these hopes have been dashed. So that was about two weeks ago. The curriculum has since been approved unanimously by the California State Board of Education and mandated by the state of California. It is now a requirement for graduation. So, what did they pass? Back to the article. Perhaps the most astounding part of the proposed curriculum is the section that deals with religion. Students are to be taught that white Christian settlers committed theocide against indigenous tribes when they arrived in the New World by murdering Native American gods and replacing them with the Christian god. According to the curriculum, this replacement ushered in a regime defined by a coloniality, dehumanization, and genocide, and the explicit erasure and replacement of holistic indigenity and humanity. Okay, so far all of this is kind of the usual B-grade BS we're used to. So what's the outrage about? The article continues. But all is not lost, we are told. For students will learn that they have the power and the responsibility to build a social order defined by counter-genocide, which will eventually supplant the last vestiges of colonial Christianity. There's a lot to unpack there. White Christian settlers committed theocide, holistic indigenity and humanity, building a social order defined by counter-genocide. First, The gods specifically referenced by the curriculum and held up as positive examples that were supposedly murdered were believed by these indigenous people to demand human sacrifice and child torture. This is not an academic exercise. This is not a textbook. People, children, were actually tortured and murdered in the names of these gods. Thousands of them. Tens of thousands of them. Not exactly what comes to mind when you hear the words holistic and humanity. Second, counter-genocide isn't anti-genocide. 
Anti-genocide implies that one is against genocide. However, when you counter something, you're turning around and doing the same thing back. A counter-argument is a point made against a point that's just been made. A counter-attack is an attack against attackers. Counter-genocide, it follows, is genocide against those who committed genocide. Who are they accusing of genocide? When we consider the escalating culture war against everyone and everything white, everyone and everything Western culture, this was the inevitable and natural next step in the progression. Let me repeat that last part of the quote. Students will learn that they have the power and the responsibility to build a social order defined by counter-genocide, which will eventually supplant the last vestiges of colonial Christianity. This curriculum, now passed, mandated, and required for graduation statewide, indoctrinates students to build a social order defined by genocide against those they accuse of genocide, which will eventually destroy and replace Western civilization. Let me remind you that those who could be accused of actual genocide in this hemisphere lived between 200 and 500 years ago. They're mandating that our children be trained to destroy people and ideas that are hundreds of years removed from the crimes for which they are accused. They also seek the regeneration of indigenous epistemic and cultural futurity. This is where I want to introduce you to a game that dishonest academics love to play. They like to use big words, assuming normies won't really know what they're talking about and won't bother looking it up. They love phrases like cisgender normative heterodoxy, thinking it makes them seem academically elite, and that the average person, rather than looking up the actual meanings of their unnecessarily complicated language, will just assume the intelligence and education of the academy is far out of their reach. They're hoping the average person will simply defer to them out of laziness. Unfortunately, in large measure, they've been right. So let's break this down. The Regeneration of Indigenous Epistemic and Cultural Futurity Definitions are taken from Merriam-Webster Regeneration Spiritual Renewal or Revival Indigenous Relating to the earliest known inhabitants of a place Epistemic or epistemic Have no idea Of or relating to knowledge or knowing So, they want the spiritual renewal, revival of... And this is where the sentence falls apart. This is where their game gets fun for me. The best part of this is that the sentence is actually meaningless. These highly educated curriculum writers are mixing tenses in the sentence. Regeneration refers to the renewal of something from the past. Futurity, as you might have guessed, refers to things in the future. When you actually break it down, they're calling for the revival of something future. They're calling for something from the past to be restored and brought back of something future. It doesn't work. They like to parade themselves as intellectually elite, but the facade is crumbling, and quickly. The regeneration of indigenous epistemic and cultural futurity. As Ron Weasley put it, what a load of waffle. Except this load of waffle is now required for graduation. While we're here, what is it they're bringing back? What spiritual renewal are they calling for? The names they cite are gods that demanded child torture and human sacrifice. This curriculum is intended for K-12, through beginning around age 5 or 6, all the way through graduation at 18. 
Back to the article. As part of the model, curriculum will have students taught chants to the ancient Aztec gods in order to make them better warriors for social justice. One of the gods mentioned in the chants is Huitzilopochtli, the god of human sacrifice. Okay, not really, right? I mean, that's hyperbole, overstatement, something. Unfortunately, no. It's quite literal. We're going to get to that in unfortunately graphic detail. Back to the article. The architects of the curriculum haven't allowed their veneration of pagan religion to rest at the level of theory. They insist on putting it into practice and on roping the children of California into their pattern of worship. In fact, the curriculum includes an official ethnic studies community chant, in the performance of which teachers are instructed to lead their students. Here's the instructions. Students first clap and chant to the god Tetzcatlipoca, whom the Aztecs traditionally worshipped with human sacrifice and cannibalism. Ooh, that's fun. Asking him for the power to be warriors for social justice. Or, let me put it to you in plain English, social justice warriors. Next, the students chant to the god Quetzalcoatl, Huitzilopochtli, and Zipetotec, seeking healing epistemologies and a revolutionary spirit. Huitzilopochtli, in particular, is the Aztec deity of war and inspired hundreds of thousands of human sacrifices during Aztec rule. Finally, the chant comes to a climax with a request for liberation, transformation, and decolonization, after which students shout something that I can't actually find an acceptable translation for, so I'm not going to repeat it because I actually don't know what it says, in pursuit of ultimate critical consciousness. Once again, there is so much to unpack here. First, this is prayer in school. They are reciting chants that make a request of a god. That is prayer. I was under the impression this was a big no-no, but I guess it's okay when the kids are praying to pagan gods for intersectionality goals. Not only are they introducing prayer to pagan gods in public school, but the assignment is part of a mandated curriculum required for graduation. You know that realm of insane ideas so crazy that only crazy people think they could happen? People that you'd laugh at, and yet somewhere deep inside you'd pity them for their total loss of grip on reality? It's the stuff you know has happened in history, but couldn't possibly happen here. Yeah, we're there. Assignments to pray to murderous, cannibalistic pagan gods for the expansion of intersectionality and the destruction of Western culture. That's where we're at. The word cult gets bandied about a lot these days. But let's be honest with ourselves. Let me remind you, this isn't a proposed curriculum. And it's not just some rando lefty school district in San Francisco. This has been passed and mandated at the state level, required for graduation, in the most culturally influential state in the country. And I'm sorry, but it actually does get worse. Let's look at the language they used in that paragraph. Their expressed intent is to make each student a social justice warrior. They are assigning children to pray to Aztec gods to make them social justice warriors. They're also assigning children to pray to Aztec gods for a revolutionary spirit. Do you want your children to become revolutionaries? The left's revolt is against the Constitution and Western culture generally. Do you want your children to become revolutionaries against the Constitution? And who is it they're assigning our children to pray to? Let's get back to the article and jump to the part where they give some context to these pagan gods. 
The principal place of worship in the Aztec Empire was the Templo Mayor in the city of Tecnoctitlan, which was made up of twin pyramids, one dedicated to Huitzilopochtli, god of the sun, and the other to Tlaloc, god of rain. Like all the Aztec gods, Huitzilopochtli and Tlaloc had an insatiable appetite for human sacrifice. The priests of Huitzilopochtli would appease their patron deity by laying out a sacrificial victim on a stone at the apex of the god's pyramid, carving out said victim's heart while he or she was still alive, then rolling the body down the side of the pyramid, at the base of which it was then dismembered and either disposed of or eaten. Post-conquest sources report that at the reconsecration of this pyramid in 1487, about 80,400 people were sacrificed in this way over the course of just four days. Even historians who regard this number as an exaggeration concede that the victim tally was probably still in the tens of thousands. Tlaloc was an even less attractive figure. Wow, that's impressive. He had a particular predilection for the sacrifice of children. The remains of more than 40 boys and girls were discovered at the excavation site of the Great Pyramid, most bearing the marks of severe and prolonged torture. I want you to remember, these are not just figures in a textbook. These aren't people in a fictional storybook. These are actual children. Real, living, breathing, feeling, actual children that this was done to. And now, the state is mandating assignments where children are instructed to chant and pray to them. Let me get back to the article. This was to be expected, given that the Aztec pictorial codices that have come down to us invariably show the children crying before being sacrificed. The priests of Tlaloc believed the tears of innocent children to be particularly pleasing to the god, and they took great care to ensure that their little victims were crying before and throughout the ceremony, so that the smoke of the sacrificial fire would carry their tears up to the god above at the moment of death. The ritual began with, and again, I want you to stop listening to this as an academic explanation, and realize that this is something that happened to real children. The ritual began with the bones of the children being broken, their hands or their feet burned, and carvings etched into their flesh. They were then paraded before the celebrants of the ritual while crying. Insufficient tears from the children were believed to result in insufficient rain for the crops that year. So no brutality was spared. At the end of it all, the mutilated victims were burned alive the mutilated children were burned alive. These are the deities venerated by the California public school system who your children will be assigned to pray to. Texaclopoca, who also makes an appearance in the new California catalog of venerable deities, was thought to be the most powerful of the Aztec gods. He held sway over darkness, night, sorcery, and witchcraft. Oh, This guy sounds like fun. He also had it within his power to disrupt the social comity and felicity of the gods themselves, and was, for that reason, particularly to be feared. He was worshipped with many different forms of sacrifice. One of these involved dressing the victim in splendid warrior regalia and then tying him to a stake or wall. Aztec warriors would then battle with him in a mocking and derisory manner, drawing this ritual of humiliation and torture out so as to entertain the gods and themselves for as long as possible. These are the gods your children will be assigned to pray to. Let me put this as succinctly 
and bluntly as I can. The state of California is now mandating speech in the form of school assignments, which require children to pray to pagan gods which demanded human sacrifice, cannibalism, and the torture of both adults and children, requesting those gods make them social justice warriors, revolutionaries, and to aid them in counter-genocide, which will eventually supplant the last vestiges of Christianity, as a graduation requirement. If you need a moment to change your pants now, you're welcome to hit the pause button and go take care of your business. If you're ready to go punch the next bureaucrat you come across, first, don't. It won't help anything. Second, channel that into something productive. Let it motivate you to do something good about this. The article sums up our failings as a people quite succinctly. The fact that it could be signed into law in the first place is evidence of just how completely conservatives and liberals alike have abandoned the field of education to radical progressives over the last century. So this raises a question. Fight or flee? I can't answer that for you. I can tell you that remaining passive is no longer an option. That's what got us here. If our schools are not fixed and our children are subjected to them, we will lose our children. That is one of the first steps of any cultural revolution. Turn the children against their parents. If you choose to stay and fight, best get well organized and fight with the fury of a mother bear protecting her cubs. If you choose to flee, be wise with your choice of destination. Out of the frying pan and into the fire is not a plan. Whatever you do, consult the true and living God. Counsel with him. Pray, not just for guidance general, but for specific answers. Then trust those answers. Sometimes it's the difference between feeling comfortable and at peace about an idea, or feeling uncomfortable. But when it's right, you know. Faith is nothing more or less than trusting God. Too often we put our faith in an outcome that we want. We have to learn to put our faith in God regardless the outcome. By faith, many people have been healed from debilitating and lethal conditions. By faith, others have accepted their mortality. By faith, some have been led away from dangerous and brutal situations. By faith, others have endured dangerous and brutal situations. The point is to trust God. If you're not sure he's even really there, that's a good first step. Pray, search the scriptures, seek him. Once you've established that he's real and that he's really there, the next step is to learn to trust him. None of this necessarily comes easily, but with patience and faith in what you are sure of, it does come. It was by his guidance that Abraham left Ur, that Joseph rose from slavery to become second only to Pharaoh and save his family, that Moses outwitted the priests of Egypt, that David defeated Goliath, that the city of Nineveh returned from a very dark place and repented, and that Paul testified in the Roman court. We are not left to our own wits. The Savior said, I stand at the door and knock. He's right there with his hand outstretched, waiting patiently for us to reach back. We're not expected to navigate this life on our own. We're expected to learn to trust and follow God. Notice, he didn't say, I opened the door and let myself in. He said, I stand at the door 
and knock. He invites us, he reaches out to us, but he will never force himself on us. Please understand that you can receive answers directly from heaven. Through prayer and faith, and learning to be still and quiet long enough to listen, you can receive answers for yourself directly from God. He is our Father in heaven, He loves us, and He is actively involved in our lives, each one of us, individually. The only thing He won't do is force Himself on us. We have to reach back. There's no more room to waffle about trusting in our own strength and thinking that we'll find God someday soon. That day has come. We're there. I can only warn you about what I see happening. I can't give you the answers you need for yourself and your family. But God can. The Savior has been patiently knocking on the door. It's time to go open it. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Be wise and put your trust in the Lord. Till next time, be informed, stay safe. Don't do anything stupid. Thank you.